Okay, and now I will read the scripture. So it comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians, and it's chapter 1, beginning in verse 21, up there. So it says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present your holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening, house folks. Uh, my name is Josh, and I'm going to be speaking uh, tonight with you. This is a little surreal for me. It's a, a surreal moment because I am a house alum. Many people uh, don't know that. Uh, some of you I've met, thank you um, for the woo. Uh, that, that is me. Yeah, that was me a long time ago. Uh, and I have no idea what's going on there. So look, this is surreal because uh, in, in 2006, I came to UTC as a freshman. And I got involved in the house. And I was involved in the house all four years. Duty calls me to tell you about my experience with the house. Uh, it drastically changed college for me. Being a part of the house, uh, listening to, at that time it was a different uh, director, David, but, but Jason walked alongside me multiple weeks, like every week for two years almost, and really poured into me. And that drastically changed the trajectory of my life. It brought me here tonight, which is unbelievable. The other part that was a really big deal, and you've already heard it twice tonight, but I'm going to plug it again because I think it has the potential to be the best thing that we do, which is core groups. Core groups are amazing. They have the potential to transform your life. We're actually going to get into this text a little bit about reconciliation, and we're going to talk about belonging, and we're going to talk about what it means to belong to the Lord, but also to belong to one another, and core groups is one of the places where we can do that the clearest. The chat sessions that you're signing up for, I, I want to be clear, Jason said this, you're not actually signing up for a core group yet. It's a simple, clear next step for just a 30 to 45 minute. If you get me, you, you might push an hour. Um, some of mine have gone longer because I can be long-winded, uh, but we just want to get to know you, uh, and we want to place you with some peers that we think actually can transform your life. So before we get into tonight's text, I want to pray, and then actually I'm probably going to read it again. Um, I like to do that at the beginning just to um, kind of get it on my mind one more time. So let me pray for us, and then I'm going to read our scripture again. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege to be here tonight. Thank you that you've given us an opportunity to worship together, uh, to open your word, and to reflect on it, uh, what it means for us, what it means about who you are. I pray that you guide us in wisdom tonight uh, as we think about these things, as we think about the Apostle Paul's words uh, to the church in Colossae, uh, what they meant for them, and what they mean for us. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So I'm going to read it one more time. We're in Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 
He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. There are only three verses here tonight. Uh, I'm going to try to keep three points. There's roughly one per verse. And I want to give you a general flow of this passage. The general flow here is that you were reconciled by God to present you if you continue. That's like big picture. You were reconciled in order to be presented if you continue. So the three points that we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about alienation, we're going to talk about reconciliation, and we're going to talk about continuation. First, alienation. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. I want to zone in on alienation. There's three things here. Alienation, hostile in mind, and doing evil deeds. But I think actually that there is some work that these things uh, track together. That alienation creates this posture of hostility that then creates evil deeds. So we want to move back to the root, which is alienation. Actually, Brooklyn's uh, testimony gives us actually some pretty good fodder for this conversation because I think a lot of you might actually feel similar to how she, what she was talking about. This loneliness, this alienation, estrangement, isolation. Isolation is probably going to be the word that I use the most. Alienation is a, I don't know, we just don't use it very much. But we do understand isolation, especially uh, in the COVID world. We understand what it means to be isolated. It's to be alone. Uh, it's to be without relationship. So I want to talk about how alienation creates this hostility of mind and then leads us uh, to act in sinful ways. First, isolation. When you're isolated, or I guess it raises a question. Who are we isolated from or what are we isolated from? I think there are two ways to think about this. The biggest way, clearly the biggest way, is isolation from God. There's a loneliness that we have prior to knowing who God is. This is rooted all the way back in creation. And we'll see both aspects of isolation in the creation story. God creates Adam, and it's not good. He creates Eve, and it's very good. There's a sense that Adam's isolation, being alone, was not good. Even Adam being alone with God was not good. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Adam is not alone. God is there with him. They're conversing. They're talking. And that isn't good. God designed us, created us, to be in relationship, to not be isolated, to be in community. And then the second piece of isolation actually comes after Eve is created and they're living in the garden in the fall. They take the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil against God's commands and they're exiled from the garden. Enter another form of isolation. Now Adam and Eve are still together, but they're not in the garden with God. There's all of a sudden a fracture between uh, them, humanity, and God. There's isolation that exists because of sin. And that's us and God. So we still have one another to some degree, uh, but we don't have God. And that isolation causes us to try and fill that void with 
all sorts of things. This is, uh, I don't know, a common idea, a common thing that we probably all experience. We feel alone, we want to feel less alone, and so we either cope with that by putting something else in its place, or we put a lot of pressure on other people or on ourselves. So the way that this works is, uh, for instance, like academics. You may find your value and your self-worth in academics. It helps you feel less alone. It helps you feel a little bit better about your station in life, a little bit better about you. There's a lot of pressure on you when it's academics. Maybe it's friends. Maybe it's a social media post. Maybe it's a romantic relationship. Last week, Jason talked about pressure uh, and things like us having the tendency to put pressure on things that aren't designed to hold that pressure, and we crush them. That's what happens in our isolation. Uh, we place things in the center of our lives. Uh, we, we put our value there, our worth there, and we put pressure on it. And none of those things, ourselves included, were not designed to hold that pressure. And we crush them. Uh, it's a really unkind thing to do to yourself and to others. This is where anxiety comes from. This is where depression comes from. I get it. It comes from all sorts of other things, brain chemistry and, and things that we can't control. But isolation contributes to this dramatically. Uh, there's tons of studies about social media and this feeling of connection but you're actually still isolated. You get this little hit of dopamine when someone likes your stuff, and that's it. You just have to feed that cycle over and over and over. And what happens when we crush something because of the pressure is we get frustrated. Uh, this is the hostility of mind. It creates an attitude towards those things of unhappiness. Those things can't satisfy us. We want to place our value there, we crush it, and then we get frustrated. And so we look for something else, or we put more pressure on it, or we put more pressure on ourselves, and enter this cycle. Out of our frustration, we act. We act sinfully. If it's a relationship, you get upset with someone because they let you down. They're always going to let you down. Uh, they were never meant to hold that pressure. And so you get frustrated, and you say something mean. You act out. This is the evil deeds piece. If it's in a romantic relationship, sometimes you say really awful things uh, to someone else, really hurtful things that you know are hurtful uh, because you feel hurt by them because you've been let down. But really, it's rooted in your own isolation. You've put this pressure on them. So then where does the pressure, uh, where should the pressure go? The pressure should go on Christ. That seems obvious, and we'll get there in a second. L let me... Let me give you like a, a low bar example of this cycle of uh, isolation. Maybe you want to even call it independence. I actually think independence is like a, a more appropriate way to talk about isolation in some ways. We like really lift up independence, but you don't lift up isolation. There, there's something about independence that we feel like we have control over the situation which is its own bag of worms that we're, we're not going to open. So, so let, me, let me talk about my toddler. I, I have two kids. I have a newborn, a three-month-old, and I have a three-and-a-half-year-old. Having a toddler, uh, most of you probably don't, is, one, it's amazing, uh, but two, it's shocking how much they reflect like character flaws back to you. Um, I 
have a problem with asking people for help. There is embedded in me this independence, this self-reliance. I think some of this comes from how I grew up. Uh, I grew up in rural Mississippi. Both sides of my families were farmers. There's like a really weird thing like with farming and with farmers for independence and self-reliance. You rely on yourself to do the hard work and to grow the crops and to take care of yourself. And in that, uh, there's this streak of independence where you don't want to rely on anyone else, even when you really need help. Okay, uh, let me lower the bar because my toddler needs a lot of help for lots of things, but most of them are not very serious. Uh, the one that I'm thinking about, or that I was thinking about as I was preparing was um, tying his shoes. He can't tie his shoes, he's three. We do Velcro a lot. He can put Velcro shoes on, he likes that. Velcro's great. I like shoes, and so, I don't know, I have like a couple of like cool pairs of shoes for him, but they're all laced. And I have to do this calculus in my head when I'm dressing him, Velcro shoes that look nerdy, or these cool shoes that are gonna take forever to actually get on his feet. So if we're in a hurry, and I think these shoes look great with this outfit, let's wear these. Or sometimes he'll want them, he'll pick them out. He refuses to let me tie his shoes first. He has to try to tie his shoes. He can't do it, he just twists uh, the shoestrings around for a couple of minutes while you know, I'm sitting there, all right, let me help. And he's like, no, won't do it. And he's getting frustrated that he can't do it. Um, if I try to help, I mean, he freaks out. It will end in yelling, it will end in tears, it will end in, no, I can do it. This attitude that he has, there's, there's this independence that he has uh, that creates in him a desire to do it himself. And it's not until he gets frustrated enough and that he fails that he says, Daddy, I need your help. Now think about that transition or, or that sequence of events, that independence, that frustration, um, and that lashing out, and then amp it up, and that's where we are. And that's what we do in our spiritual lives with God. Uh, we're, we're independent. We think, we can take care of it. I can take care of myself. I, don't, I know that God has reconciled me. I know that he's the one that I need to be at the center. But for some reason, I still want to place other things at the center and try them out and try them out and try them out. And it creates this frustration. It creates um, unkindness a lack of generosity, uh, and a lack of peace. It creates enmity. And that's exactly what sin does with us and, and God. The good news. So that's the bad news. We'll move to the good news in the, our second verse. I'm going to read verse 1 and verse 2 again. And you who, were once, uh, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, you who were once isolated, frustrated, and acting out, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Reconciliation in order to present you. This is good news. Reconciliation. Reconciliation is another big word. We have alienation, we have reconciliation. The way that I want to think about reconciliation um, is more like an invitation to belong. There's belonging. So we have isolation, and then we have belonging. What God has reconciled us to, re reconciliation 
in its nature requires enmity. It means that there was a relationship, there was something that was good, and we're recovering that thing. You don't reconcile something that's new. If I just meet someone for the first time, there's no sort of reconciliation that happens. Reconciliation happens with old friends when I frustrate them and we get into an argument and then we make up. This is our relationship with God, all the way back to creation. And we go through these same rhythms. This is the good news. The good news is that he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He's already done it. He did it at his death. He's already reconciled us. He's already made a way for himself to be in the center. This idea of belonging and of reconciliation is massively important to me personally. I mean, it's important to everyone, obviously. It's important to the church. It's important to the history of the church. It's important to Christianity. Uh, but, but the thing that like blows my mind, and, and at some point, I don't know, it was as an adult, it was after my time in the house, at, at some point, I came to realize that the fact that he's reconciled us means that he wants a relationship with me. He wants a relationship with you. He makes a way through his, the death of his son on a cross to, to be in relationship with you. There's a pursuit, and there's a pursuit all through history. Right after the exile of uh, Adam and Eve from the garden um, to the exodus, he's making a way for his people to be in relationship with him. And the apex of that is Christ and the sending of his Holy Spirit to be with us. That's going to be next week, actually. Um, I think that's next week. It should be. Um, that's going to be next week. It's a, it's a mystery. Christ in you. There's a, a relationship, a connection. You belong to him. You are alienated, estranged, isolated, but you belong to God and he has pursued you in order to dwell with you, in order to be with you because he loves you. So let's think about belonging. What does it mean to belong to something? Um, I think to belong to something in the way that I want to talk about it is to be loved in a place, uh, to be welcomed, to be loved, and to be known. That's what it means to belong. You don't belong to something as soon as you walk through the door because nobody knows you yet. Um, there is no relationship. God has a relationship with you. He has been pursuing you your entire life, well before your life. He, you belong to him as his creation. As sons and daughters of Christ, you belong to him. He pursues you. He dwells with you. He wants to dwell with you. He wants to be in relationship with you. This is in direct contradiction to the isolation that we experience. He provides a way out of that isolation. And instead of the isolation creating frustration, creating acting out, in this way, that belonging, that reconciliation creates peace. It doesn't create frustration. And that peace leads us to righteousness and to righteous living, not uh, to acting out, not to sinful ways. You see how these things work together. And so alienation at its root, that's what Christ is doing on the cross, is addressing the root problem, uh, which is alienation. To be fully known and to be fully loved. That's the goal of the house. 
Uh, at least when I was a student, I actually think it's, it's hard for me to get around this. Um, the mission statement has changed a little bit. Um, but the mission statement is to be known and to know Jesus. There's a sense to be known here in this place. That's what we want for people. We want people to be known by this community to belong and feel like they belong. Core groups are a great way to do that. You feel like you belong to people in this community. There's relationship, there's vulnerability, there's trust. And we belong to God. All of the other stuff, the trust, the vulnerability, belonging to the community is really hard to do without recognizing and owning your belonging to God. This moves us into uh, the third verse. The third verse is uh, continuation. This is verse 23. It it presents a conditional clause. We'll talk about this in a second, but um, I'm going to read the whole passage again because we only have three verses, so it's easy for me to read it multiple times, so we're going to do that. And you who want, and it's one sentence. Uh, Maybe your translation has it in two sentences. Um, The translation I'm using has it as one. It's originally one. I won't bore you with grammar. Reconciliation is the, or reconciled is the main verb of that whole sentence. Um, that's what everything is pointing to. Uh, okay, let me, let me read. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So there, there is this sense that uh, his reconciliation is for us in order to be presented holy, blameless, above reproach before him. That's something that he does. Now, this is the side for our responsibility. And you're like, wait, but he's already done it, so how do we have a responsibility? Yes, he's already done it. Yes, we have a responsibility. Yes, those things can be confusing. There's some mystery there. Um, But we have to lean into that. We have to recognize that um, he's calling us both to live in a particular way. um, And that if we live in that reconciliation, what naturally naturally follows is peace. And there's a movement towards Christ-likeness, a transformation of righteous living. So... Uh, and, and if indeed you continue in the faith. I think some people will read this passage and think, what happens if I don't? What happens if I don't continue? I, I think it's important for us to remember that the Apostle Paul is writing this to a particular church at a particular time. And there was something going on in their community. There were other people who were trying to preach a different gospel. And what he's trying to do here is to encourage them not to fall for that. In fact, he says, continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The gospel that they heard that led them to the place to understand that they're reconciled to Jesus. That's the gospel that he wants them to hold on to. Don't be taken captive by something else. By a different gospel, remain steadfast in it, remain stable in it. Understand what Christ did for you and let that uh, influence and marinate your life. So, so the remaining steadfast, that if indeed you do this, uh, I think is a big picture. Um, understanding that the gospel is the gospel, that the good news that Christ died for you, that he rose and that he's Lord over all things. 
to not depart from that. And if someone is preaching something different than that, that that should ring bells for you. Uh, and you think, mm, that sounds good. Uh, that's not the gospel that brought me out of alienation into reconciliation. You see the sort of flow of thought. There's, there's alienation, reconciliation, and continuation. You continue in that faith. This is the encouragement that he has for us. You have already been claimed, uh, and you have been fully known and fully loved. By the power of the Spirit, he's encouraging you, and I want to encourage you to keep Christ at the center so that the pressure that you, we have a tendency to put on people and on ourselves uh, doesn't collapse on ourselves or others. Um, Matt, um, actually, in uh, the prayer beforehand, um, quoted uh, uh, the Gospels, um, quoted Jesus to say um, that his uh, yoke is easy and that his burden is light. When we own the identity that we are God's, and that God's people belong to one another, that you belong to one another, it's this idea that many hands make work light, or make light work, whichever way it is. Uh, you, you get the idea, right? That together we can bear one another's burdens. Uh, that the weight of the world, when Christ is the center, and that we surround that, he can hold it up. That he holds all things together. Uh, as we've already heard in, in Colossians. Uh, that is my encouragement for you tonight. As we think about alienation and reconciliation and continuation, uh, that instead of placing yourself, uh, which is kind of self-centeredness, if we think about a circle, um, and what's at the center of that circle, we find our worth and value. Um, self-centeredness or other-centeredness, anything we put in there, um, what we need is, is Christ-centeredness, uh, and that he can withstand the pressure that prevents the feelings of isolation, uh, of frustration, uh, and of acting out in sinful ways. Uh, will you join me in prayer as we uh, finish up here and, and sing a couple more songs together? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we serve a God that loves us, uh, that has uh, reconciled us. Um, that wants a relationship with us uh, and that pursues us, that wants not just a relationship, but wants to dwell with us and makes a way for that to happen. I pray for anybody who is feeling alone and isolated uh, to reach out to someone, um, to know that the community of God is meant to bear one another's burdens uh, and we point one another to Christ who can withstand whatever pressure we put on it. I pray that you find encouragement in that. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.